0: And Welcome to another episode of 353rd, a bi-weekly podcast discussing the impact of the internet on business. Today is Monday, November 24th, 2013, and this is episode number 64. I'm your host, Scott Barstow. And I'm Anders Brownworth. Anders, we've talked a lot about education on this show, and I don't think there's any other industry under more pressure to transform than education in general, and in particular, higher ed. We we talked about this back in uh, back in February 2012. We dedicated an entire show to the topic of higher education. and If you follow this show we talk about it all the time. So with tuition outpacing the cost of living and overall economic growth, new graduates finding it more and more difficult to find work, um, debt spiraling out of control, A lot more graduates are asking the question, am I getting what I paid for? Is there any better way to invest my education dollars? Yeah. And joining us today is Victor Saad. Victor is the founder of Experience Institute and the Leap Year Project, author and speaker at events like TEDx Windy City. He recently started a brand new initiative at the D School at Stanford to explore experiential education a bit more deeply. Victor Welcome to three fifty third
1: Thank you It's good to be here
0: so tell us a little bit about you
1: well um so as you said like i I have uh kind of stumbled into this space of higher education um, um, just real quick there on the d school side I, I get to work with those guys and i'm I'm a huge fan of them. I'll get to more about that later, but didn't start at that initiative so but i I'll, I'll leave you on the end of your seat there <laughs> um, but yeah so i I actually um be, like kind of fell in love with education uh, maybe the surrounding edges of education if you will um growing up because um i was i grew up in a middle eastern family and education was a huge deal and especially in the realm of you know your future profession um, which you know narrowed it down just by the nature of com- you know migrating immigrating to the states, um, land of opportunity. So I had kind of the three main options of becoming a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. <laughs> all of which need a lot of formal education, and the better the school, obviously, the better the result on the back end of that. So you know, I I had you know a ton of pressure to go uh, become a doctor. Um, mainly that was that was the, the profession that was kind of I was slotted for but growing up um just just had the most incredible high school teachers and um some people on the fringes as well that were mentors and advisors and youth pastors and um my family hit a really challenging time uh, throughout high school and and uh those people became my heroes and I just hmm. couldn't I couldn't think of a better way to spend my life than to um, do what they were doing with me. And when I realized it was a potential profession, um, outside of what I had, you know, really understood and knew about and just from the sake of being Middle Eastern, I, uh, I brought my, at the time, divorced parents into the room and said, I'm, I'm not going to become a doctor. I think I'm going to go work with students, uh, in which they said a lot of things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I that probably did. went well. Yeah. Um, But no, they, over time they, they became, um, okay with it. And I went off to Chicago and I went off to a little Christian school, um, and studied there. And then, um, I I found a, a job in the West suburbs, um, with a church that was building a student center for the community called the hub and, uh, I got to be a part of a team that built this amazing space, forty thousand square foot space, had a theater, and hangout space, and a, mm-hmm. a you know tutoring kind of initiative. And I got to run the programs, um, so you know, doing after school programs and so on. Um, and then you know, just got to see kind of the the I don't know, like the very personal side of this for of education for me, which was kind of the. Direction piece and the support piece, and then the training that kind of followed, Um, and and like I said, just became just very much in love with the user, if you will, and not so much the topic um, with the student and the person and um, the potential, and it just you know my heart just swelled and. Hmm. but I was I was learning a lot about business too with this building project. And I was like, man, I, I wonder what would happen if I had just a little more experience or knowledge around um, around industry, around organizational systems and structures, and you know, budgets and so on. So if I had some more of that, so an MBA seemed like the best route. And then became you know then began a new hunt for school and education in the new kind of realm, right? Yeah. And so where'd you, where did
0: you look at going to, to MBA school?
1: So I spent spent almost an entire year preparing for the, um, preparing for school. And I was looking, I was in Chicago, obviously I'm in Chicago. Um, I had, I was a dork about it. So I read all of the articles and books that you can imagine. I even, um, Applied for like the Kaplan course, um, and yes. I can afford, yeah, I can afford the GMAT course. So I, I did, I entered this big essay writing competition, and, um, and with Kaplan and. Wrote a hilarious essay when everyone else must have been writing the most dorky things, and I won it <laughs> <laughs> saying about like all these you know all the things I wanted to do, mainly um, I wanted to go to school for girls, uh, not really nice. but like, <laughs> well of about. course, yeah, and, and there I talked about Northwestern and University of Chicago. Um, and uh those were the two that I was thinking about, and I never had done it really just northwestern, mm-hmm. like u c was just a little more statistics based, and i wasn't I was looking for. Um, more of the social enterprise bit, um, route. And they had just a really good program around around social enterprise. Jamie Jones uh, runs the social entrepreneurship department there. And she and I became friends in, during that time. And um, yeah, so that's where I was. I had my sights set for there.
0: So what ha So you get your
1: now, did you actually end up going to Northwestern? I didn't. Um, So I took the GMAT, was doing uh, the application, got tutored, visiting classes, getting to know faculty. I'm one of those guys like, you know, I'm not going to just go send in an application. I'm going to like fill out my application from the office, you know, and like, you know, get to know the administration at the same time. Um, So I, I was talking to all sorts of people um, and there were some financial aid opportunities, but the money was really starting to scare me. Um, I, I just didn't know like what, what would it do to me in my future if I had that much debt, like how would I think about the work I wanted to do? Would I still want to work with students? Yeah. Would I just be so enamored with like paying off loans that I would just take whatever high paying job would come to me.
0: Yeah. So I'm curious, what would what's what was the debt load you were looking at if you had gone if you had ended up going to MBA school or if you had ended up going to Northwestern, what would you how much debt would you have graduated with approximately?
1: It depends if I would have stayed working or not, you know, and I, I hate debt. I don't have any debt at all. Um and, and I probably would have been okay with taking roughly like sixty to $80,000 in debt. Hmm. Okay. Like, and, and I say okay with. Like it, I, it would have cost me for two years. If I would have gone full-time two years, maybe worked a little bit, um, I had a little bit of savings um, and gotten creative. Maybe, I, you know, who knows with what scholarships and funding. So I don't want to – I'm not trying to bash sure. for funding. But it just – it was going to be $120,000 for the degree. Yeah. Uh, and then all the expenses that surround it, right? So, right. Um, and Chicago is not a cheap city to live in. Evanston, you know, um, same. So, yeah. So, you, so
0: you're staring, you know, sixty to eighty k in debt, and you said, "I'm going to do
1: something different." Yeah. So I just I wondered what else I could do, and I I had been um, I remember I went, I went to this like week long retreat with my students, I took them up north to a camp. We did some a service project up there. And um, I made them not use their phone or internet. Like they had to be completely disconnected. And then I also made them take one hour alone every day, just like at the same time in the evening, just to decompress, like no talking, whatever. And it was just an opportunity for reflection and writing, use a pen and paper, all those things. And it was the best thing for me too. Like I had been doing my full-time job, studying for the GMAT, like looking at schools, you know, in the evenings. It was just nuts. It was the first time that I was really contemplating what else I could do. And by the time I got back, I remember the next day, Sunday morning, I got up and in 30 minutes, like I just, it was just one of those moments. I like ran downstairs, pay, pen, paper, 30 minutes, ran, wrote out an idea of like what else I could do to learn. Um I actually called it the Leap Year Project that morning and put the it, road it at the top of the paper. And um and I just was like, Okay, this is ridiculous. It was, you know, a series of ideas of like how else I could learn. And so I decided I would do the thing I I do best is just talk to people about the idea. Um and I interviewed what I thought was going to be just a few, started interviewing what I thought would be just a few people. But the conversations were so fun talking about like, Hey, how have you learned? Where have you learned? What are the things that, uh, where, what are your greatest lessons in life and where did they come from? And how do you think I should learn? You know, me like, and those conversations were incredible. Hmm. Um, Good. and then when they were, when they were start you know, hearing my, com- my questions, they were asking what I was thinking and then they thought it was a little nutty. And that's where the leaping thing kind of surfaced again. It was like, well, okay, let's think about this in the context of taking risks. Like, what risks would you take right now if you could? Or would you have taken if you were my age? And that's when the the tone in the conversation went back to, like, really exciting and, you know, inspiring. <laughs> because people had ideas that they wanted to do as well. And they felt they were too old or didn't have enough money or, like, you know, their time had come and gone, whatever, you know. Um, and so it was, it was just this kind of fun thing where by the, by the middle of the summer, that was spring of 2011. And by the summer I had, I had decided that I was going to try something different. Um, wasn't going to do traditional school and was going to essentially try to make up my own. Yeah. So you did, so it was 12 experiences, 12 months, right? So that's how I organized it. I asked a lot of those people, I went back to them and said, look, I have an idea. Why don't, why don't I take a year off of work, and I will r- create a blog and a newsletter? I'll travel. I'll work with companies I admire. Do projects for them. I'll share my connections with you. I'll write my papers to you. Like I, you know, I'll, I'll basically be a uh, researcher for hire, if you will. Just subscribe to my blog, and let's see if we can do this together. Like in a very crowd funded support, you know, support driven kind of way. And I'll even like do this whole leap kind of storytelling project along the way to inspire mm. people to take risks of their own and be kind of my lab work if you will to see w- what individuals do when it comes to social change um so, so you what get, were the,
0: give I'll, us an idea of, of of those 12 experiences tell us about your top two or three
1: so yeah so um the experiences all revolved around design um business entrepreneurship uh and then social change and so i was trying to think okay like those three things you normally think of maybe nonprofit work or you think of, um, uh, um, yeah, like a startup or something, which is all cool. And I did work with those, but I found myself at one point talking to an, an architect from uh NBBJ named Samuel Stubblefield. And he uh, was an introduction from a friend, and he works for N- yeah NBBJ, and he's working on all these incredible exper- experience projects like, um, it's experiential design. He works in this small studio at NBBJ. And he talked about um, how he like was the voice in my head, uh, became the voice in my life about the role that space plays in society and community. Mm-hmm. And just I never thought of it. And so he actually invited me to spend a month there at NBBJ. Like it was one of those things. Like he went to the HR director and like, you know, finger in the chest, was like, "We got to bring this guy on staff." <laughs> Just and I don't know why he went to bat for me, but he's like since turned into some some sort of like older brother in my life. And um, and together, you know, we got to work on Microsoft's healthcare facility, which was a total underground thing at the time. Totally mm. crazy to me that I got to work on it. And they brought NBBJ in, and specifically this department, to figure out how do um, how do you warm up a hospital, like how do you or, not, or a healthcare facility? How do you make it like? like add a dose of levity and brightness and education to it. Mm. And so like I got to come in and think about the textures of the wall and to install this like 50-foot long, two-foot tall niche into the wall that had all these things carved and, and placed into the wall that kind of talked about the, how the human body works. And then it ended on this three-screen wide video that we shot with the RED camera and, um, and mm. All just white, so it blended into the wall. But then you would see this like dog come up and grab an apple off the table, and a stat about pets and apples, and you know, like a a a tennis ball would bounce across the screen, you know, and a stat about about the the heartbeat um, of in the firmness of a tennis ball, and and these things. And it was just a blast. Like I I had no idea. If you would have told me that I would be working in an architecture firm, that I'd be there, Um, I. I think the other was probably working. I mean, all of them were great. So it's really, really challenging. I I mean that. Um, Like doing a video campaign for a a nonprofit in Cairo, like the way that that all came about was insane. Um, And within six days, it was kind of one of those things like I was on a flight with a videographer to Cairo you know like in February you know six days nice. before I wasn't and six yeah. days later I was there um and I just got to hear what people in a in the middle of a tumultuous situation what what they were doing to create change in their community and you know we think we I, for me when I think about like leaving a well-paying job to um to do something noble in the world like I honestly look like, this is awful of me and I'll forgive me for saying this out loud but like the person that I think of in my mind isn't isn't someone overseas, honestly, I think of an American when I think of that, possibly for hmm. several reasons, good and bad. but all of these people at this small nonprofit had really amazing jobs and they left to go work at this nonprofit to figure out how to bring together the two like you know people from different faiths and communities and ages to focus on character development and growth um, and in unity and like wow. I was like, I was just floored. I mean, I came face to face with some of my own stereotypes, even though it was my own community. I'm Egyptian. Like, but I just, it just was one of those things that just rocked me. And I hmm. just, like I said, expanded my view of the world and myself. Um, and, and then furthermore, the impact I want to make in the world. Yeah. So what's, uh, what are your parents saying at, uh, at this
0: point <laughs> with uh, you kind of going down this, uh, not only not a doctor at this point, but you're kind of
1: off on this uh, wild junket. Yeah, What's going on with them? Yeah, so um, they were incredibly supportive. Um, My dad thought I was a little bit of a loon, which is fine. And uh, he, you know, the part of my story that's really sweet is that um, the same people who invested in me um, through high school, like started spending a lot of time with my parents and um, though they were divorced, like started kind of counseling and wooing them kind of back together and in college. I got, it's like wind of them going to a marriage conference together and like spending time together. And, um, and then one day, like my dad calls me and says, Victor, she said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and my parents got remarried. Wow, um, gosh. And, and so like, you know, my family has been through the ringer, but they're, they're an incredible crew of people. And, um, and you know, we've seen a lot of good things happen and some of it because of my looniness. Um, and I, I, I think I think that they saw glimpses of something good in this, and they they knew I wasn't going to be doing anything awful, and so they were supportive. And by mm. the time the TED Talk ro- rolled around, so I staged my graduation at the at the TED conference in Chicago by by their um, kindness, like it was for them to invite me to do that was super sweet. Um, um, but yeah, my my parents came up for that, and they were beaming; they were absolutely beaming, and it was it was just. Uh, it was probably like my proudest moment as their son, right? Like to stand Mm -hmm. on stage and then to see my dad introduce himself over and over as the father of the leap year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a fantastic story. I didn't know any of the family piece of this uh, prior to today. And that's just, that's just really cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And it continues to be, um, a bit of the fuel for why I do what I do. And then, um, much of the hope for you know just the the reason to connect people who are interested in solving problems that seem unfixable.
0: Yeah. So, so you yeah, honors
1: yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah. So so uh through all of this, then what is your what is your advice to somebody maybe just entering college? I mean, are we to uh uh suggest that they should all uh, drop it and and uh, go on a trek around the world and uh, gain some real experience that way or uh, you know how do how, how, how do you I mean I assume that doesn't work for everyone obviously
0: uh, does
2: yeah so so where do you you know where, where do you see the impact here you know
1: yeah I know that's a good question um I don't think there's anything that's like a one-size-fits- all my my hope is um, it, it's more so around elevating the role of experience Experiences within higher education, uh, maybe creating another type of credible space for right. someone to learn. Like right now, it feels like, and, I, and, I, and I, from what I've seen, I think this is true, like the only truly credible space to learn is the university context. Um, and it's a great space to learn. I, I actually, you know, I, I, I'm spending time at Stanford right now, and it's like, it's, a, it's an incredible environment to learn. Yeah, it really
2: is. I, lo- I love Stanford. When I lived out there, I would go there all the time for for talks and stuff. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and I think, that, and not just Stanford either. I just think higher education, like the university context, is a really special time in life. You know, spending a few years there. Absolutely. And now we have this online space growing, and it, you know, a lot of people don't quite know what to do with it, but it's just taking us by storm in a great way. But there's still something missing there, right? So it's not going to replace traditional universities and, um, you know, it's going to work in conjunction. What I think needs to happen is that now experiences kind of need to stand up in between the pair and kind of link arms. And I, I th- what that looks like, you know, I think that what when- – it might be is we get to the place where it is really acceptable for someone to take a year off between high school and college and it's not a step backwards it's actually an opportunity for them to you know really find where they fit and where they want to be and where they want to go um, or it might be in the on the other side of a uh, university context like maybe you know after college or maybe that junior senior year in college where you, you need to take a step into a few different roles or projects where you get to really get your hands dirty. You get to get sore and sweaty around the top (laughs) of the fields that you care about. And and that can that has to be seen as incredibly credible. Like almost you get more credits for doing that than you do for just like staying in school for, you know, or getting through school in four years or whatever. You know, so I my, my hope is that someone could Either a do do a series of experiences, and that launches them into either a school or a, a startup or their next stop, step. And people see that incredible. Or if people step away from the university context to do this kind of thing, they're they're given the support they need to to um, to explore a little bit, and just while still adding value. I'm not talking about just like you know skipping along to Europe. I, not that that's bad, but you know I, I'm talking about like really finding ways they can try their hand at, at the skills that they want to, you know, get better at.
2: Yeah, I can't wait for that mentality to take root. Uh, I I personally would have probably done very well if I had some sort of an option like that. Like, Like the year or two between high school and college would have been absolutely pivotal <clears throat> for me because I went to college because you did. And then- right. I ended up essentially going back to college because I wanted to totally, right. you know, totally different reason, set. And I did very, very differently as well. Um, right.
0: so yeah. So Victor, you've actually got an initiative underway with a lot of this experiential uh, stuff you were just talking about. Uh, you've got, you've started the experience Institute, uh, which combines a lot of the principles you were just referring to. So Tell us a little bit about what goes on there and how the program works and kind of where you
1: are. Sure, sure. So, yeah, so um, all of the the stuff from the Leap Year Project, which was an incredible experience, and there was a, a fantastic community of storytellers that came around that. Um, but all of that sparked a, somewhat of a idea to see if we could replicate or um, not necessarily formalize the idea, but maybe organize it. And so we just pretty quickly turned it around into a school called Experience Institute. And we just have a pilot class. It's a bit of an experiment right now. Six students joined us in September. Um, We wrote a curriculum to support them um, and found a few facilitators, industry leaders, teachers who kind of come around them for their first uh, two weeks. And, And this is how it works. So they meet in Chicago two weeks work together with our, t- our teachers, and um, I've also brought on a, a series of partner companies who are willing to bring on students as apprentices. And so during those two weeks, students are learning a curriculum, and then they're also uh, talking to companies. And then by October, they're working with a company for the first three months, and that's one Term those two weeks plus an apprenticeship, and they do that three times over. So then they come back to Chicago in January, and then continue learning those the curriculum. It's five five buckets, um, five five main topics, and then they go off to another apprenticeship. And we're doing that, like I said, three times. Um, and then during that during their time away, they have like Google Hangouts together and with the faculty. And then there's also. Um, yeah, you know, a blogging system for them to continue reflecting and writing about what they're learning. Um, yeah. And so it's it's kind of a inspiration, action, reflection is kind of our rhythm, um, over and over. Hmm. So. So yeah, that's what we're working on. Now the, the reason why, um, we're at Stanford is because there is like this kind of push to figure out, well, how does it, how do you organize something as organic as experiences and how do you find what the learnings are? It's, it's a very non objective. It's very subjective. Um, Like what you learn from experiences and uh, how educated you become from them. Um, And so, and and how to, you know, like offer some sort of credit to that, you know, and there's with, current credits, you know, there's for every one hour in class, there's three hours of work outside of class. So you do that, you get credit, you get a a credit unit.
2: So how did that uh, project with the D school start up? Obviously, the D school, you know, very, very big, uh, you know, very well respected, uh, you know, looms large these days. Uh, did, Did that spring up from the need for a definition around uh, these projects. I mean, how how did that connection happen? I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, it seems obviously
1: the right place.
2: Uh, yeah, to yeah, be. No,
1: for sure. Yeah, they're they're rock stars when it comes to trying to think ahead um, on what what's like what's to come. Um, I, I met them last uh, last spring through a friend who goes there, and he he was really sweet to advocate for like you know some sort of collaboration, and um, just get, went out there and taught uh, like collaborated on a workshop with them. Mm. And then there's this project called At Stanford, where Stanford has kind of commissioned the D school to start thinking about what Stanford's gonna look like in, in twenty twenty and in turn like what higher education might look like in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. And so they've taken they, they were trying to figure out like how what are the things that are going to change the most. And um and they broke it down into what they think so far are four main topics, at least for this semester, that what they're really focusing on. And that is residence life, so the dorms are probably going to change a little bit a lot yeah. of it library um, huh. so the library accreditation, and then the role of experiences hmm. uh, and so that's where you know our past friendship kind of now has matured into more even a you know into a deeper collaboration and There's like twenty students who apply or that who've been kinda handpicked and there's an amazing teaching team. And then for Res Life, obviously the head of Res Life is there. For the library, the librarians are all a part of it. Uh for accreditation, Mozilla got invited to be uh, the collaborator with their open badges and then for experiences, Experience Institute is there. Hmm. So That's fantastic.
2: Yeah, it's it's a great
1: really really sweet opportunity. Anders, what was your role? Like how did you get involved there?
2: Oh no I have just been uh you know a huge fan and uh and following the D school uh most mostly you know when I was in the uh you know when I was in the area it was it all had to do with computer science type of uh, courses and yeah. and talks and stuff so I actually wasn't connected to the D school I just followed them uh uh you know from from the outside I guess Cool. no oh, yeah. that's great that's great I did a, a, a MOOC with them um let's see, last, uh, last year, I guess, uh, about design thinking. Yeah. And, and so that, you know, that, 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 there's connection there. So I, so I'm very interested to see, you know, their approach to the problem and, and, uh, you know, we were talking a lot about workspaces and, you know, how, how, how space is used and, and that kind of thing. So it's really interesting to see the, the, Sort of the the approach taken to solve these kinds of problems, and uh, yep. y- you know all all that. So so it's that's all in a sense new to me. So yeah. um, you know, so I, I find I guess I find their approach to problem solving uh, certainly something I would not have come up with or done on my own. So I so it's you know intellectually very interesting.
1: Yep yeah the design thinking approach is really really cool, and to apply it to all kinds of things you know mm. um, you know to from how do I design a better wallet, which is kind of the classic video like that helps people get learn about design thinking to how do we re- how might we redesign education higher education yeah uh, which is just messier yeah and it's not, I think they're trying to explore like how does it how does design thinking become less of a linear process, and how do you might like step into different parts of it as needed? But it really does work well. Also, it's just kind of a very linear process. If and when you need to start, you know, like approaching something that seems too grand or that might seem to have the like really quick, easy answers. How do you make sure it's rooted in in like users, you know, in, in humans' thought and perspective and feelings, you know? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Can so so that said, can you uh, uh, share anything about? insights that you've come up with with uh trying to take something that is you know an experience that is uh you know very hard to quantify and and turn it into something that uh you know let's just say the average uh uh, person that's hiring in business is going to appreciate and and value and you know kind of see it as a, a you know at least equivalent to something that you would get in a more traditional uh, classroom.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there, there are tons of insights that we're trying to glean and insights are really the the cornerstone of not the cornerstone. Empathy is the cornerstone, but they're, they're the hardest thing to come about. Right. Because yeah. they're the, they're the cliff that you're going to leap from, you know, that, I, because I've heard these stories and these quotes and these things, I think we should try to create this. And you're gonna—it's a—you gonna start with the prototype, which is the idea. But so you know, a couple of the insights would be, um, you know, experiences, um, like the, the role of validation mm-hmm. and why someone wants to be validated, and how do you actually provide validation that outside the context of grades and, um, and so that would probably lead to some sort of. Not not just class size within experiences, but some sort of someone who really knows their field, and then in turn is and knows the student, and then can provide feedback throughout their their time. So then coming back to EI, what is our kind of student to professor ratio? Or you know coming back to to the D school. Um, Is there some sort of faculty or a group of faculty that helps students walk through whatever experience they're going to go through? So there's almost, you know, for every seven students that are doing experiences, there's one faculty. Mm -hmm. Um, So Or, you know, for example, um, the idea of exploration. Students want to try a lot of different things um, at once, and sometimes they need, uh, you know, when they're in the middle of an experience, they need like deeper classes around something really fast, and then other times they just need to kind of be let like, go. Oh. So, d- does higher education turn into more of like a, a gym, like a gym mm-hmm. membership, um, where? where you kind of learn a base together, but then you kind of go out in the world and then as you need specific skills or things to be worked on, you can come back for that. Mm -hmm. And in turn, higher education doesn't have a four-year deadline. When you go to Stanford, you're actually subscribing or to go to Stanford for the rest of your life, if you will, and as you need things, you go back. Um, So it it leaves room for the exploration piece, it leaves room for the validation piece. and then the last thing is probably like how do I talk about what I've done um, in a way that um, employers and peers can, uh, can can understand. Because right now it's really – the cues are really nice and easy to see. 3.8, Harvard. Yeah. Boom. I'll yeah. look at that resume. You know, like within three seconds I can look at that resume. I, I know I should look at that resume. Yeah. What, are, what are other cues we can come up with? Um, and how do we, how do we invite um, – More than just a brand or a number, how do we how do we talk about the story of a student and the things that they've experienced and cue an employer to understand that there's more behind uh, more behind the student than just their their GPA or their school's name. So you know we've we've talked that's where Mozilla kind of has stepped in a little bit. Like how do we re how do we rethink the resume and. Mm -hmm. You know, is it a storyboard? Is it a video? Is it a you know a five? Every student now has needs a five minute video once they're done, uh, similar to a mini TED talk. Um, So Mm -hmm. these are, I I can go on and on, but (laughs) um, you know, if if we had sticky notes right now, we the wall would be full. But um, so yeah, so that's the idea of this class though. Now is our final presentations are in a week, and we will present a potential experiment that we could try on Stanford's campus and. If some of those are light, will uh, they'll, they'll happen? So this is up with all four groups, um, and then you prototype those things, and yeah. that's and essentially no matter what, AI is going like I for our team. We we already have things that we know will kind of take away from the experience and, and try as we continue growing. Yeah, the video is
2: interesting. Um, you know, if, if somebody that I'm looking at uh, did a, you know a few months or a project, uh, with, you know, I, I don't know, IDEO, some, some company, uh, on, on something that, that was interesting. That was certainly peak my interest, but it's, uh, something that almost you have to dig for a bit more before you, uh, all right, we should make the whole thing about how to do a, the whole show about <laughs> how to do a resume. But I, I just, I mean, I guess that was one of the questions Scott and I, we're, we're, uh, we're debating with uh, online courses and how do you uh, you know what's an accreditation that would make any sense to anybody? So I guess it's a similar problem. So I've been I've been fighting with it as well.
1: You need the, with the resume question? Yeah, like yeah. like uh, yeah
2: yeah how how is how do you prove your legitimacy in a sense? How do you how do you bubble to the top? I mean Harvard three point eight that's you know that's too little words essentially so right. uh how how do we you know I mean, maybe you don't get there i mean a, a 5 minute video is, is very interesting but given the yeah given the number of resumes that generally stack up when there's a position open and and people are trying to compete for it uh you know 5 times uh, 200 is a lot of minutes
0: yeah well, but i think this is important because Fundamentally, if you're going to change, back to your earlier point, Victor, about uh, people being able to look at a new way of thinking about this and accepting it and being uh, employers being accepting of different ways of coming at the education experience, fundamentally, at the end of that, you have to have some way of telling your story. And the resume has been that way in the past, where you can put your GPA, you can put where you went to school, you can... You know put your relevant internship experiences in college, and that's the way out of college and into the into the workplace but you it seems to me that this is a fundamental problem that we're going to have to address, and I think the fact that Mozilla is involved uh, is really encouraging because they've it's an organization that's already proven that they can think outside the box so to speak, and be very progressive and so to have that Sort of organization with their legitimacy and on the internet and generally uh, seems like a great org org to have involved at this point.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I, you know, I I don't think it's any secret to employers that a number and a school name isn't isn't what makes up a student anymore. I think that's that's generally being accepted. It is still a good (laughs) cue. Um, but I think I think employers are a little hungry to figure out how how else to um, to assess where a student has been and where they're going, yeah. um, and so I think I think that it's kind of ripe to for, for us to kind of come up with some fun new things. Yeah, I agree. I, with Leap Year Project, you know, I say this in as um, yeah, I, I don't mean this in any kind of arrogant way. I I, I was offered a job nearly every month. And um, and then afterwards was also offered a few jobs that all of which I, I would have loved to have taken, um, and I I was curious like what had happened I, I didn't I didn't have an MBA I didn't have three point eight from Harvard, um, and it was I think it was a combination of things I think it was the the work that I had actually done so how do we present a student or an individual's work in a lovely way um, so portfolio is that the answer. Potentially, you know, um, where you can see somebody's work both online and in a three dimensional format. Um, I think it's also the references. You know, every every month after January got easier. Getting the getting the first project was a nightmare, or -hmm. so it felt. I landed it like two weeks before January. Finally, like I was like, "Oh crap, I'm gonna get off to a bad foot." But after that, you know, like. Phil introduced me to Jake from Threadless, and you know Jake introduced me from Alex, you know, in Boulder, and um, you know, and Alex introduced me, you know, it just the, the the dominoes kept tipping, and I think references are a big deal, and so then okay, portfolio and references, and then yeah, I, I wonder now with the TED Talk like that, I think more people have watched my TED Talk than have read my book, It yeah. it's 18 minutes, which is a little bit of a long TED Talk, but you know the fact that i spoke at a ted conference and i also have my story in kind of a concise form if someone really wants to get to know me and what i did in a short short amount of time that's a good place to go uh, so these are just a few things like they don't i don't think they're the answer yet but i think they're a good combination of things to get us in the right foot or on you know on on the right uh, yeah in the right place so um yeah
0: what do you think about the uh, sort of the intersection uh, and i'm sure you've i'm sure you've seen this but shugamitra's kind of legendary ted talk at this point about uh self-organized learning environments so you've got the you've got this kind of weird intersection happening now where you've got people saying look all you need to give give someone is the uh, the tools with which to learn and they'll teach themselves you've got the you've got the moocs happening where you've got lots of people signing up for classes, and then 80 to 90% of them dropping out. And then you've got traditional universities uh, with their both – all the good things you talked about, but also all of the problems that they have with maintaining this infrastructure they've built and being able to persist. Where do you see the the intersection of <clears throat> all of these things as somebody who is – You know, if somebody who's 15 years old right now and trying to figure out what this thing looks like as they come up on this really important decision, it it seems like there's right now there's a lot in flux, and I'm curious where you kind of see the landscape heading over the next five years, you know, Mm -hmm. three to five years since you've been obviously you're in the middle of it trying to solve a really specific piece of it, but you've got all these other things kind of happening around it and people poo-pooing. Uh, you know traditional universities and uh saying they're going to go the way of the dodo bird which i think we all agree isn't going to happen but they have to change so yeah. where, where do you see you know the freshmen of the you know of the 2018 class what what is their what is that what is that person what do they look like when they're going to school or when they're getting out of high school what are they what are they working on what are they are they going to the a university the same way somebody is today are they doing more of what Sugamitra
1: uh, advocates, you know, what do you think that's a great question um, well there there's two sides of this because on one hand um, there students still just need to learn content right there're they're, especially when you're talking about engineers and accountants and med students so there there is and will always uh, be a need for educated, experienced individuals who are teaching non-educated, under experienced individuals. So I, I don't want I, I agree with you saying that the traditional university won't go out the window in time. What I think will need to happen is um, or I think what, how I see that that age group in the next ten years, maybe what it looks like for someone going to college in twenty 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 or twenty-five, whatever in ten years. Um, I, I wonder if it'll be a shorter stint in a university space, I I wonder if it'll be more of a start here, and then go, um, and then come back, and then go, and then come back, and then go. Um, I think the most valuable thing that universities will always offer, honestly, is community. There's something that happens when you're not alone, right? It's It's the confidence that comes with being associated with a group of people. And is it is probably the greatest insight within higher or within around higher education, at least from what I'm looking as I look in with new eyes. It's that students need one another. They need professors and they need opportunities. And those those kind of that threefold thing, I'm sure there's others as well in the mix, but creates this um, sort of compression wrap around the student where they can now they feel like they can move. Ahead, Um, and if any one of those things is somewhat lacking, the student somewhat lacks as well. If they don't have good mentorship and direction from somebody who cares about them, if they don't have a peer who's also struggling with them, and if they don't have something to look forward to, kind of inviting them into, uh, they they feel like there's there's a sense of um, I don't know lostness or confusion, perhaps. So I. I do wonder if that will be the case, and so really focusing more on the community and the opportunities outside of the university context or outside of a, a small um, organized anything. As far as self-directed learning approach, to just address that really quickly, I don't think there's anything bad with it. I, just, I, I think that if we're going to go that route, we have to spend as much time in reflection and storytelling as we spend in the experience and in in the learning phase. And if we don't, we, do, we don't fulfill our role as a student in that context. Hmm. Storytelling is by far the most um, – reflection in storytelling will be by far the most helpful piece of that process to bridge them from their stage in learning to their industry and their you know, future coworkers. And if they don't take the, – if people don't take the time to, to package what they've done, um, they're, they're doing a huge disservice their season of whatever self-directed learning they're doing
0: that's interesting so if you so your advice then particularly around that topic is like if you if you want to go out and learn this stuff on your own that's great but don't just make it this jumbled mess of of kind of disparate classes but rather think about it cohesively like you would mm-hmm. if you were going to a university and then think about how you might package that up Right. Um at the end of it to tell a story about why you did what you did, why you took the classes you took, you know, why you went on this junket to Kenya to do this research project. Like all of those things. It's not right. that you have to have a traditional education, but you have to have a way of telling the story at the end that makes sense to somebody who's gonna try and put a value on it. Hands down. You it
1: better than I did. Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's founded in like that it it just is found in research why are you learning those things why are you wanting to do that and sometimes you won't know and i think that's i mean self-awareness is a huge part of ei we have a whole a whole fifth of our program is devoted to helping students be more you know exercises that help them understand what they value believe and why and their history and where that's going to lead them and so that's that's hard work And most times people just want to go explore like you know this is the this is the measurement process, like measuring where you and, and looking back, and then and steps, and then telling the stories afterwards.
0: Really interesting. So, last question for you before we leave: uh, What is your if you've got a, if you were the parent of a high school junior right now, what would you? What would you be thinking about education with all of this stuff spinning around you and people telling you college is a waste of money, and you'll never get your return? Like, wh- what would you what would you tell your son or daughter if you were in that position right now?
1: Hmm. I'd be just asking a lot of questions about like their gr- proudest moments over the past, you know, five six years of their life. Um, their their most memorable moments, like wh- where did they feel like they were in their best and where did they feel like they were in their worst and where did they feel they were most alive um, and maybe even bring some other people who respect them and who know them to speak into it. Like I think a lot of times we think um, these, decision, the, these decisions should be an individual's decision and it's very much a community that needs to come around a student. Um, so I bring a few other voices into it and as far as you know uh, a traditional university context, if if it fit them the best, then I even even the, me, the guy who like seemingly you know is anti institution, which I'm not, but you know I I yeah, we'd figure out how to make it work. I, I probably would encourage some sort of um, stint of travel or some sort of play after high school, just because they're they've just gone through twelve straight years of. Craziness. Um, <laughs> so, I probably would, you know, as a parent, try to save a little bit of room for them six months or something where they can uh, yeah, go somewhere, try something, um, create something, and then see how, how they fail and, and be around them. But, yeah, I think I would ask a lot of good, good questions and then see what their objectives are, help them get trying new things. Super. Does that make any sense?
0: Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> that's great. Victor, uh- Tell everybody listening where they can find out about the Experience Institute, find you online, just kind of your general,
1: where to find you. Yeah, so let's plug here, um, or no shame in the plug, that if you want to buy the book, which is a huge, you go to leapyearproject.com, and you can find the book in our store there, or on Amazon, if you just Google, or if you search for Leap Year Project, you can get it on iPad, Kindle, everything. Um, and then also, if you are interested in the school, we're going to open it applications again in 2014 but you can come sign up for the newsletter at expinstitute.com and uh, you'll hear about how, what's going on with stanford and the students and the new applications and all that jazz so
0: great victor it's been great having you on the show thanks so much for taking the time yeah thanks for having me all right until next time thanks for listening